Well, there's nothing like the presence of God, right? Nothing like the presence of God. I tell you, Liz shared from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Can I say this morning, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived something like the presence of God. The presence of God and what that is like is something that you can't find anywhere else. You know, when I'm standing in worship, like this morning, and I get those, those physical sensations, that emotional thing going on, that overwhelming sense that the one who is all loving and is all good is, is revealing to me that he is right here with me. I don't know, it just kind of refocuses me, it recalibrates me in a way that nothing else in this life does yeah, you know, I remember not that long ago, I was driving uh, into work on the motorway, and you know what that's like. Yeah, being on the motorway is uh, very much like the Catholic concept of purgatory. It's where you go to pay for your sins. And certainly when I'm in, uh, in my car on the motorway, I feel like I must be paying for something, going along at six and a half kilometers per hour, flipping heck. So I'm in that place, and I remember this one day, I just put on some worship music, and I'm, I'm often playing worship music, but... Just as I did, and as I started to sing, as in my car, I just started to worship God. It just came out of the blue, and that's, that's what it is for me. I find that the presence of God comes. It, it just it feels like it's out of the blue for me. But it, it shifts something in me. It shifts me internally. I, I see different. I feel different. I think different. It is a powerful thing. And, you know, I, I really believe we need the presence of God. I need the presence of God in my life. But there's something that we need even more than the presence of God. And that is that we need to know that God sees us. This is really important. We need to know that God is not oblivious to our efforts. He's not oblivious to our pain, to our thoughts, to our joys, to our daily grind, to our wins and to our losses. Yeah, we absolutely need God with us, Emmanuel. But we also need to know that God sees us, El Roy, the God who sees me. That's from a fascinating story in Genesis 16, verse 13, when, uh, when Hagar, the servant girl, uh, has been kicked out of her master's household, Abraham's household. She's gone and got lost in the desert with her little boy, Ishmael. She's run out of water. She has no idea where she is. She's so distressed about the fact that her child is going to die that she goes and places him under the, sh under the shade of a bush a long way away so she can hardly hear his cries. She's in such deep distress. And then God turns up. And she's stunned by this because she didn't think anyone could see her. But God saw her. And so she says, you are El Roy, you are the God who sees me. And by he sees me, we don't just mean some sort of recognition from a distance. It's not kind of facial recognition software. It's, it's not kind of like God's just head counting as we wander past. We mean that he sees us like a parent sees their small child. You know, every week here at Elam Christian Center City, during the week we have Elam Playgroup, we have Elam Music, uh, we have English Conversation class, and, and very often this place in midweek is, 
full of mums and kids. And once a month when Lizzie and the team do Urban Mums and they put on a special talk for mums on relevant topics, um, all of the kids stay in here and all of the staff are on deck and they have to look after all of these kids. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I, there are things I can do. Like, there are things I'm confident in doing. Like I feel pretty confident up here doing this. But you put me in a room with 30 little children and I go deep into anxiety. It is, it's just distressing. And which is weird, right? Because I've got four kids of my own. Like it's not like I don't know how to do this. But it's just an anxious, anxious place for me. But what's wonderful is watching mums and their little kids. Especially when the kids are in here playing and, and, uh, and Rochelle knows all about this. And, and the mums are kind of ducking in to make sure their kids are okay because they really want to duck out and hear what's going on. Um, but you know what? It never, stro- never ceases to really impact me when I watch a mum watch their child. And this is important because this is how God sees us. You know, this, this watching their every move, this delighting in every effort to progress, this wincing with every knock or fall, and always ready to come running the moment there is any real distress or danger. That's how God sees us. We don't just mean it in, in terms of a parent and a child. It's, it's also uh, God sees us like a lover sees their lover, or, or like a an incredibly close friend sees another incredibly close friend. You know, when, when you know you've been seen, when they, they know your thoughts, they know your struggles, they anticipate your reactions, and they are there to soften the blows of life with a smile, with an encouragement that we will get through this. God sees you. You see, the problem is, though, is that we don't see God physically, do we? We don't hear God audibly. And so our feelings can tell us that he is not around, that he doesn't see. And that is why we must learn to fix our minds on truth. When we fix our minds on a truth repeatedly and consistently, that truth becomes a belief in us. And that profoundly impacts every area of our life. You know, in psychology, we understand that wrong beliefs can cause us to think wrong thoughts. It's called cognitive distortions. It's when our thinking becomes just a little bit twisted, a little bit off. It's not quite in tune with what is true and real. And then what happens is those thoughts or beliefs, then they actually shape our feelings, our emotional experience of life. And then those feelings and emotions shape our behaviors. Let me illustrate. Some time ago, I was counseling a young man, not a member of this church, not a part of this congregation. And together, we were discovering that he had a number of things that he believed were true, that he never really consciously thought about them. But as we explored what was going on in his life, he found that there were these things that he really believed that were true that were not true. Things like he believed that he was a failure. When it was abundantly clear as we discussed and looked at his life that he was not a failure. In fact, he was successful in many things. He believed, I could never make a difference, which the evidence did not support at all. He was making a difference in multiple areas of his life. He believed that people only talk to me because they pity me, which is, again, was so not true. Funny, isn't it? Funny how we can believe these things 
about ourselves and never question them. When he realized that those beliefs that were going round and round in his head were affecting his emotions and feelings and that they were affecting how he behaved both in the workplace and with his family, he said to me, I was shocked. I had no idea how my beliefs impacted my emotions and that that impacted my life. If I believe that I am loved by Liz, and I believe I am. Thank you, baby. Thank you. I thought she was going to mock me just for a minute there, but she wasn't because she loves me. When I believe that I'm loved by Liz, then I feel loved, and, and I interpret the things she does through the lens that she loves me, and then what happens is that I most likely then want to love her back and, and respond in the same way. But if I believe that I am not loved and that she doesn't love me, then I don't feel loved in the things that happen. I, I, I interpret them through a different lens, that she doesn't love me and, and that somehow that's the reason for what is going on. And then that affects not only my emotional state, but my behavior, and I become either desperate or I become defensive. And the only difference between my behaviors is what's going on in my head what I think and what I believe. If I believe that I am successful in life, then I feel successful and I will take risks and I will act with confidence and I will trust my competence in different areas. I'll move into life in a different way. I have a different resourcefulness. But if I do not believe that, if I believe a different thing, if I believe that I'm not successful, I'm a failure, then I will feel like a failure. I will not take risks. I will not move into situations with confidence and it will affect my resourcefulness again. And the only difference between this place and this place is what we believe. Can you see why what we believe is so important? In fact, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do a little exercise this morning. It's going to be great. I promise I'm not going to mess you up. It's going to be okay. We're, we're, going to, we're going to do this. And you don't have to participate, but I really encourage you to do this. And if you want to, I even encourage you to kind of close your eyes. Because we're going to use our God-given imaginations for a moment. Because I, I, I need us to experience the importance of building right truth into our lives. That we believe the right things about ourselves. So here we go. I want you to imagine for a moment that you really believed that you were a failure. So, you know, I want you to listen to these, kind of take them inside. It's okay, we're not going to leave them there. It's, it's, yeah. But I want you to, to do this. Imagine that you really believe that you were a failure. That's who you were. You were a failure, that you believed you were not good at your job, that you believed you were not liked by people. Okay? We're going we're gonna to take those as examples of, of wrong beliefs in our lives. So imagine that for a moment. Feel the impact of those. I'm a failure. I'm not good at my job. I'm not liked by people. It's interesting because for some of us, actually, that's very easy to imagine that because for some of us, it's pretty close to home, right? It's pretty close to the mark. Okay, so you got that? I'm a failure. I'm not good at my job. I'm not liked by people. Now, let me ask you on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being very, very low and 10 being very, very high, how confident do you feel when you think of that? How confident do you feel? It's pretty low, right? Like maybe a three, maybe a four, maybe a two. Okay, how about competent? How competent do you feel when you think about that? I'm a failure. I'm not good at my job. I'm not liked by people. How competent do you feel? One being low, ten being high. Again, it's pretty low, right? Twos, threes. How about this? 
How in control do you feel of your life? When you believe those things, I'm, I'm a failure, I'm not good at my job, I'm not liked by people. Once again, it's low, right? How do you think that will impact how you behave in your job, in your relationships? Huge impact, right? Okay, now let's flip it around. This is the good, bar, the good part of it. Let's imagine for a moment that you actually believe the opposite was true. Just an exercise, but imagine this. Imagine you totally believe that you are a success. I'm a success. That, that you believe that you're not only good, but you are very good at your job. And that you are liked and appreciated by everybody you know. Now, now for some of us, like the previous example, this isn't too hard because some of us actually rightly think those things about ourselves, but some of us don't. So we might have to use our imagination. So let's go there again. I'm a success. Uh, I believe that I'm good. In fact, I'm very good at my job. And, and I believe that I'm liked and appreciated by everybody I know. So in that place, let me ask you, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being very low, 10 being very high, how confident do you feel right now when you internalize those? It's pretty high, right? Like 7s, 8s maybe. How competent do you feel when you truly internally believe that I am a success, I am very good at my job, I am liked and appreciated by everybody I know? How competent do you feel? Again, it's quite high, right? Maybe 7, maybe an 8. How about this? How in control of your life do you feel? I'm a success. I'm really good at my job. I'm liked and appreciated by everybody I know. Again, it's really high, right? You feel that really high. Let me ask you, how do you think that will impact how you behave? Big impact. And the only difference is the truth that we hold inside of ourselves and the belief that we have. That's why beliefs are so important to us as Christians. That is why we must know the truth of the Word of God. That's why we must build our lives upon the things that it says about us and the world that we're in and the God that we serve and the possibilities for life around us. That is why we must have faith. Faith is meant to be something that is rock solid that we stand on and don't waver on because it's true and it's been proven repeatedly and consistently. The power of what we believe. Our behavior follows our feelings and our feelings follow our beliefs. So today we're going to do a little bit of work on what we believe. And that means, of course, we must start with the word of God, this unchanging truth that has shaped the lives and experiences of countless millions, countless billions of people over millennia who have chosen to follow Jesus and build their lives on the Word of God. And so this morning I want to take us to a, a wonderful passage of Scripture. Some of you I'm sure will be familiar with this. There are some important truths in here that we must internalize. We must allow them to become beliefs in us because they will totally change how we experience the life that we're in. We're going to go to Psalm 139 this morning. I'm going to read out the first 12 verses. We're going to explore that a little bit. So here we go. Psalm 139. You have searched me, O Lord. Right off the bat, isn't that interesting? You have searched me. You know, when you search for something, the most important thing is that it's going to take time. 
You know, God has taken time to know you. God has taken time to become familiar with you. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. How about this? Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, and if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And if I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. This, this passage of Scripture, the, the truths in this, blow my mind. This is, this is what is true about how God sees you. He has searched you. He knows you. He doesn't just know of you. He knows you intimately, everything about you. He perceives you. Let me put it in contemporary language. He gets you. He gets you. He discerns you. He knows the nuances of what's going on with you, which way you lean on things, the propensities you have for certain things. He, he discerns you. He is familiar with you. He knows what you are about to say. He is wherever you are. And get this, and he is wherever you are going. He guides you. He holds you like a mother holds a child or a dad holds a child's hand. And he sees you in the darkness and he sees you in your darkness as easily as in the light. He sees you. God wants you to know that you are never alone. You are never abandoned. You are never forgotten. You are never isolated despite how it looks or even how it feels. You see, the devil wants you to think that God is disinterested and absent. And the truth is, is that he never, ever is. He sees you. And that means that he just doesn't see you when you're in church. But he sees you at every point, in every way. And he sees you when you are winning. Now, this means a lot to me that God sees me when I'm winning. 
Because, you know, one of the propensities of us human beings is, is that when, when we're doing well, when we're winning, when we're doing great, it's very easy for us to forget God. When things are going great and we're making it all happen and we're doing awesome, it's very easy for us in that moment to even, even really, we don't need God. So it doesn't really matter whether he sees us or not. And what I love about God is certainly in my life, God has a wonderful way of letting me know he sees me even when I'm winning. You know, my first introduction to Elam, Auckland, was many years ago when we were pastoring in Dunedin and I was invited to come up and speak at their young adults camp. I knew nothing really about Auckland Elam. I came up, the camp was in Taupo, and, you know, I really wanted God to touch people's lives, and a great bunch of young adults were gathered at this camp, and so I'm really praying and seeking God, and we get there to the camp, and kind of, I'm working it all out, and man, we had such an amazing weekend. I mean, honestly, the power of God fell, there were prophecies over lots of people, there were tears, and people's lives were really, really impacted, you know, and, and at a mental level, I'm like, wow, God, you're awesome. But, you know, at a slightly more selfish level, I'm like, wow, Mike, I'm awesome. You know, I, I, it, it was just, it's just the truth. There, there are these moments when we think it's all about us. We think we're the ones who made these things happen. It was, and I was awesome. And I was pretty excited. I hadn't done a lot of speaking before that. And we're at this camp, and I'm feeling like I'm the man. If we're, if we're really honest, and of course, I'm acting humble. But on the inside, I'm like, I'm the man. And then at the end of the camp, they asked if they could all just pray for me. I'm like, That'd be awesome. I'd love you guys to pray for you. So all these people all gathered around me. I'm in the middle. And you know what I'm expecting, right? You know the kind of prayer I'm expecting to be prayed. Oh, God. Thank you for, thank you for the man of God. Thank you for the power of God. That's what I'm expecting to be prayed, right? Do you know what was prayed over me? This is exactly what was prayed. I wrote it in my journal. It was so hilarious. This is what they prayed. They prayed, thank you, Lord, for sending Mike who even though he stumbled and bumbled his way through his messages, Lord, he was used by you. <laughs> who ever prays that over a visiting speaker? What the heck? And honestly, as they're praying this, I just, I had to stop myself from giggling. And this huge big grin came on my face because it was like God was grinning right back at me going, ha ha, gotcha. Don't you get too cocky, son. You remember who has the power, and it ain't you. And it was just this wonderful moment between me and God where I was really humbled, and, and it was really funny. But I love that God sees me when I'm winning. He's watching over me. And it, I just so appreciate it. He really did see me. And God sees us when we're winning, but God also sees us when we are losing, right? How many nights, I couldn't even guess, that I found myself up at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. wandering about our lounge, praying quietly in tongues, trying not to wake anybody. But because I'm just so distressed, I'm so in angst about something that's happened, something I've said or done that was stupid to one of our kids or to Liz or, or, or sometimes something that was said to me and I'm just hurting or I'm worried and I just can't sleep. And so after lying in bed for two or three hours and getting nowhere, I get up and I, I just have nothing else to do. I have nowhere else to go but to go and, and pace our lounge in the darkness and pray. And it's, it's in those dark hours when I feel most alone, I feel most useless and I'm most disappointed in myself. Those are the places where I find that God sees me as well. Those are the places 
where God helps me to find him again. I remember one time being so upset. Well, I can actually remember lots of times when I was so upset, having no idea what to do. And then after an hour or so of just wandering up and down, feeling so alone and so disillusioned and so disappointed with myself, just praying in tongues, and then eventually I just start to sense that the Lord starting to speak to me, the Holy Spirit starting to help me see good ideas, ideas that maybe bring me peace, ideas that give me hope that maybe tomorrow might be better than yesterday was. I love that he sees me when I'm losing. And he also sees me when I'm wondering. You know, there are times in our lives when we kind of know where God wants us to be, but we're not quite sure why. (laughs) When we know we're in the place where God has put us, we just don't know what the next step is. We're not losing, but we're not winning either. We find ourselves in this strange, strange place. Now, last weekend, Liz and I weren't here. We were, we were down at Blen at Elam. Lizzie was preaching in the church, and I was on a men's four-wheel drive camp up into the mountains around Reefton, visiting these old mining places, and I had to speak a couple of times to this group of men. These men, all who drove trucks and who would talk all about diffs and transmissions and and stuff that I can't even remember because I don't know what they are. I've never felt more like an Aucklander in my life. <laughs> Their stories are all about driving trucks up steep inclines and getting stuck in the mud. My story is all about being on the motorway. Those are the only stories I have. I've only got motorway stories. It uh, wasn't very exciting. And I, I, I found myself going, what am I going to say to these men? Especially because I've had no sleep. Because I'm sleeping in a these cabins in the woods with 19 guys who snore like chainsaws. And I, I, had, I had earplugs in, and I can't sleep with earplugs. I had earplugs in, and I could still hear this dull roar the whole time. Like, God, what are you doing? Why am I here? Why is Liz sleeping in a beautiful bed back in Blenheim, and I'm stuck in my blooming sleeping bag with 19 chainsaws at 3 in the morning? But you know what? God saw me there. And, and I remember one day, I, I'd already spoken once, and I had to speak again, and the guys were off doing something in their trucks, and so I went for a walk around this, um, this old kind of ghost town, this mining town, trying not to fall in old mine shafts, and going, just God, I'm just not sure what I'm doing here, God. I'm just not sure why I'm here. Like, these guys are all so different from me. There's these strong, tough guys who talk trucks and eat Bacon. I mean, we, had, we covered all the five major men's food groups, right? Bacon, eggs, bacon, sausages, and bacon, all five of them. <laughs> we ate bacon at every meal. I'm not, like, I'm not actually not kidding. We had bacon for breakfast, bacon for lunch, and bacon for dinner. I have no idea how many pigs gave their all for that men's camp, but it was a significant number. I'm so baconed out. <laughs> but I'm walking around this camp in the drizzle, just going, God, I, I don't know what I have. I, don't know, I know you've brought me here. I know I'm here. I can hardly think straight. I've got indigestion, and I just don't know why I'm here. But as I wandered around, I felt God just start leading me to talk about my failures with these men and the hope that I found in him. The next morning, I got up after bacon, 
we had this time. And I just shared with the men some of the things from my story. And yeah, it was great. A couple of guys came up to me afterwards and said, hey, that was really amazing. Really appreciate it. That was awesome. But there was one particular guy in that camp. He was a bit of a tough guy. He didn't really interact a whole lot with anyone. I tried to kind of chat to him a few times. wasn't super successful. Camp finished, and as we're driving out, we got as far as Murchison, and we're filling up with diesel or truck gas or I don't know. And, um, and I'm standing on, outside this, this, this place where you can buy pies, and he just walks up to me. And he said to me, he said, Mike, he said, you may have noticed this weekend that I didn't really want to be here. Now, this guy was interesting. He's, this guy did not go to church. He had never been to church and never been to Blenheim Island. He said, you may have noticed that I didn't really want to be here. And I didn't really take part in a whole lot that was going on. He said, and I wondered why I was here until this morning. He said to me, that message was for me. He said, God spoke to me today, and I want you to know that. Blew me away. Why? Because God saw me, and God saw him. How good is that, right? And God brought us together in a way that made such a difference for both of us. And I want to remind you this morning that he sees you. And he sees those that are around you. And God's plans are that something powerful and beautiful happens in the place that he has you. Can we take a moment again like we did earlier and can we begin to internalize these ideas we have from Psalm 139? What would it be like if you truly believed in your heart and your core, deep in here, in your thoughts and in your heart, if you truly believed that He saw you, that He gets you, that He guides you, that He knows you, that He holds you, that He's not just with you, but He's already ahead of you. Just for a moment, can we imagine that? Can we imagine what that's like? He gets me. He guides me. He knows me. He holds me. He's not just with me, but He is ahead of me. Now on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being very low and 10 being very high, how confident does that make you feel? How significant does that make you feel? How loved and connected does that make you feel? And if you feel like that, how do you think that will change the way you live your life, the way you reach out to others, the way you love those that are closest to you? Welcome to faith. He sees And so as we close this morning, let me ask you one question. It's this. If He sees you, what does that mean for you right now? If He sees you, what does that mean for you right now? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you see me. God, that you see me and you know me and you get me and you guide me and you watch over me. 
thank you, God, that you also see those that you've put me around and you put me here for a purpose. Thank you, God, that you see me when I'm winning. You see me when I'm losing. And you see me when I'm wondering. Somewhere in between. God, I pray, Lord, that every one of us this morning will go out of here today truly believing that you are El Roy, the God who sees me. In Jesus' name.